Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. I'm your host, Jim Hawk, and this is Session 71. So in this session, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 8 and beyond. So we're going to see the growth of the church. And so uh, unless you're driving, turn to Acts chapter 8. And we'll begin and we see that the church is being persecuted primarily by the Jews who had just stoned Stephen. And you'll recall from the last session who was in charge of that stoning. None other than what would become the Apostle Paul. At this point, his name is Saul. So we talked about uh, Paul and his uh, transformation. We'll see more of that uh, very shortly. But anyway, we see that because of this persecution, it says in verse 2 that uh, you know the believers were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. So I'd like you to circle the word scattered. Now think about it. Let's say that the church was not persecuted. Well, then all the believers probably would have stayed in that Jerusalem area where they had, uh, where they had accepted Jesus for whom he is, and the church might not have grown. But because it is scattered, it says that uh, uh, later on that the, you know, the people went about uh, talking, uh, preaching the word. It says in, in verse 4, those who had been scattered went out preaching the word. So just reflect on your own life. There might be uh, an event. Perhaps you are experiencing a, a, a bad time in your life and you, you think, well, why is this happening to me? Well, perhaps the Lord is going to use you in your suffering to minister to somebody else or even better to bring that somebody else to a, a knowledge of Christ. You know, you can't do that if you just stay in the same place all the time, right? <clears throat> so just backing up, we see that Saul was, uh, verse 3, was trying to destroy the church. So he's entering house after house, dragging out men and women. He handed them over for imprisonment. So now we'll go forward to verse 5. Philip, now this is a deacon of the church, not the apostle Philip. And we know this because uh, the, the apostles kind of stayed in Jerusalem, but others were scattered. So Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now you'll recall that Samaria had at best a mixed reaction before to the message of Jesus. Philip went down and proclaimed the Messiah to them. With one accord, the crowds paid attention to what was said by, uh, by Philip. Okay, and there's a bunch of people who, um, you know, really understood this message with joy. But there's a man named Simon, and he decides that you know, he used to practice magic in the city and he, he used to, you know, astound the people of Samaria. This is in verse nine. And uh, so, you know, he was, he was the big shot in town before, before Philip got there, right? And so Simon is kind of losing his uh, popularity, isn't he? So, uh, 
we see in verse 18 of chapter 8, when Simon saw the Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, capital S, was conferred by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me this power too, so that anyone upon whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter, always Peter, said to him in verse 20, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. And so um, this is a, a particular sin in the Catholic Church, and it has a name. Do you know what the name of this sin is? It is called simony, and it is named after this instance right here. Simon, not to be confused with Simon Peter, this is another Simon, popular name at the time, this magician who wanted to buy an office for money, and that's what simony is, buying a church office for money. And sad to say, this was a practice that was done in our church in the Middle Ages, where wealthy people would buy the office of bishop or priest for money, and that would allow them to collect from the collection plates and, and that sort of thing. It's a sad truth of the Catholic Church, and we don't want to dodge that. This did happen. Um, but why? Because although our doctrines were given to us by Christ through the tradition of, of the Church, and God has given us the Holy Spirit, uh, which we've already seen, uh, who who Jesus said will guide you into all truth on matters of teaching, faith, and morals. Sadly, that has not applied to the individuals in the church. So these things happen. So when there are scandals in the church, and simony certainly was uh, one of them, uh, probably the main one, arguably the main one that caused uh, Luther to break off from the church, um, you know, we, we realize that um, uh, the doctrines are true. The doctrines are pure. The doctrines are given to us by Christ, uh, either directly by Christ or through the Holy Spirit and our tradition with the capital T that was passed on. You know, the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. All right. But yet we still have uh, sinful people. Uh, we are all sinful people in, in the office. So Peter basically says, hey, Simon, you ain't going to buy this, this authority. And, uh, but ultimately, um, you know, Simon says, pray for me in verse 24 to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come to me. Okay. And... Uh, Let's see, I want to back up to verse 14 of this same chapter 8. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, of all places, had accepted the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, there's Peter again, who went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For it had not yet fallen upon any of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. We as Catholics unlike some of our other Christian uh, brethren in their churches, we uh, acknowledge that baptism can only happen once if it is in the Trinitarian form. That is to say, you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
So someone can come into the Catholic Church if they're Lutheran, Episcopalian, uh, you know, Anglican, uh, you name it. If they have been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we recognize that the graces of baptism, that original seed, um, can only be conferred once. Can only be conferred once. Uh, uh, so, you know, that's, that's important. Now, we will, you know, if someone is a Mormon, if someone is a Unitarian or something like that, we, we don't accept that baptism because it is not in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you just saw in verse 16 of chapter 8 that these folks had to, been, had to be sort of re-baptized because they had only previously been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, verse 17, then they, you know, the apostles, laid hands on them, the people, and they received the Holy Spirit. So this is kind of like their confirmation, if you will, or their initial baptism and their confirmation, if you will. Now we get to Philip again, this uh, Philip who's a deacon of the church. And uh, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, get up and head south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, the desert route. So he got up and sent out. There, now there was an Ethiopian eunuch. By the way, there's two kinds of eunuchs. There's the kind who have been, um, you know, severed of their male parts, if you will. Or the term eunuch could also just refer to an officer of the of the kingdom. You know, in this case of of Ethiopia. I suspect it was probably difficult to recruit people to the position if you had to be a sexual eunuch in order to get that job. But anyway, so Philip does what he's told. He travels to this place, right? And uh, so verse 28, he was returning home, seating in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit, capital S again, the Holy Spirit, said to Philip, go and join up with that chariot. Verse 30, Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? By the way, you would, you would want to um, un underline, you know, where it said that the, uh, uh, in verse 28, that uh, the eunuch was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And in your margins, write Isaiah 53, verse 78. That's what he was reading. And so Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And verse 31, the man said, how can I unless someone instructs me? Okay. And that is the point of the church. I would underline that verse 31 how can I unless someone instructs me? If you just pick up the Bible and read it by yourself with no guidance whatsoever, you can come up with some pretty crazy ideas about what it means. So we understand that we read the Bible, although we read it by ourselves, we can certainly do that. Uh, for interpretation of it, we look to what? The church, the church that Christ founded, the church that was given the power to bind and loose, etc., and determine for us um, if there are, are matters of uh, controversy there. So that's what, that's what we're doing right here. You know, we're talking about uh, Scripture.
So he invited Philip to get in and sit with him. This was the scripture passage he was reading. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will tell of his posterity? For his life is taken from the earth. And once again, that's from Isaiah 53, 78. And it is, of course, a prophecy of the coming, coming Messiah in Isaiah's time, which we understand to be Jesus Christ, right? So the guy's reading about this, but he doesn't understand it. So Philip explains it to you. Um, and then uh, Philip proclaimed Jesus to him in verse 35. And Philip also must have told him of the need to be baptized because it says in verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What's to prevent my being baptized? Um, then he ordered the chariot to stop and Philip and the eunuch both went down into the water and he baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit, again, capital S, Holy Spirit, of the Lord snatched Philip away. So Philip did what he was supposed to do, right? He explained some scriptures to the eunuch, and the eunuch came to a, uh, a decision to follow Christ and was baptized. So uh, lest, lest you wonder if baptism is required or not, note that Philip stayed with the man until the man was physically baptized. Again, as Catholics, we recognize that the act of baptism gives grace, gives the forgiveness of sins, etc. So, um, anyway, what uh, if you have not been baptized? I would ask the same, ask you the same question that was uh, that the eunuch asked in verse thirty-six. What is to prevent my being baptized? Okay. So if you know you're supposed to do it and you know it's supposed to give grace, then why don't you do it? Hopefully you have. But also make sure that your children are baptized as well. Probably the most important thing you can do for them. More important than giving them an education, I would say even, because baptism is the key to the graces, opens up the graces, by which we can receive eternal life. So don't blow that off. Okay, next we're on to chapter nine. Saul, of all people, is, uh, well, he's still breathing murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he said, hey, I want you to um, uh, give me letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if I find any Christians, <clears throat> I might bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. Wow, that's pretty severe, right? So verse three, on his journey, as he was nearing Damascus, a light from the sky suddenly flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? No, that's not what it says. Read it again, verse four. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay, now that's curious, 
because we don't see that Paul ever had any interaction with Jesus while Jesus was uh, living in his mortal body on this earth. So Saul did not persecute Jesus while Jesus was on this earth. But apparently, when you persecute the, the church that Christ started, you are persecuting Christ. Think about that. When you persecute the church that Christ started, you are persecuting Christ himself. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay, the church is acting as Christ on this earth. Okay, the one church that Christ started. So, uh, Saul says, who are you, sir? The reply came, I'm Jesus, whom you are uh, persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, for they heard uh, the voice but could see no one. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So he was blinded by the light, if you will. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days, underline three, he was unable to see and he neither ate nor drank. Three, by the way, in a limit of time, when mentioning time, three is always followed by a positive development. And we see that throughout scripture. You know, Christ is in the grave for three days and resurrected. Numerous other examples. Okay. So then uh, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, not to be confused with Ananias and Sapphira a couple of of uh, chapters back, apparently a popular name. Um, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, here I am, Lord. Again, always ready to uh, another man, ready to do the Lord's bidding, even though it might not have been part of his plan. So perhaps you will have a similar experience. And when the Lord calls you, hopefully you will answer it, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense at the time. Anyway, in the interest of time, uh, the the Lord says, "Hey, go to uh, uh, you know, go to Damascus and and find um, find Paul and lay uh, hands on him that he may regain his sight." Little irony here, because Paul was going to Damascus to quote unquote lay hands on the new Christians, but not in a positive way, right? He was going to haul them up, but. Uh, here we have Ananias, who is told to lay hands, uh, you know, an anointing of sorts, of sorts, to, uh, to Paul there. And uh, so Ananias at first says, but, 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 hey, I've heard a lot of bad stuff about this guy. And uh, the Lord said to him, go, for this man is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. And I will show him what he will have to suffer for my name. Okay, so it probably wasn't Ananias' plan, but it was God's plan, and he was obedient, as we, of course, should be. And so Ananias uh, approaches him, lays hands on him in verse 17, and says, Saul, my brother, the Lord has sent me Jesus, who appeared to you on the way by which you came, that you may regain your sight and be filled with the, what? Holy Spirit. So, sir, or underlined, filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Immediately, things like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. He got up and what? Was baptized. So if you need any further proof that baptism is uh, is essential, uh, Paul himself got up and was baptized. And when he had eaten, he recovered his strength. Well, I see that we're about out of time. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, dear Lord, we thank you that you can change people. An incredible example of how Paul went from a hater of you, a persecutor of, of Christians, to actually a spokesman and an author for Christians. And we thank you for the Ananias of the world. We, we pray that you will give us grace to be Ananias like in the sense that I'm sure this wasn't Ananias's plan, uh, Ananias's plan to, um, you know, to approach Paul. Um, and, and yet he followed you and he did what you directed him to do. And of course, uh, because of you working through Ananias, Paul was able to Christianize the, the rest of the known world. So um, help us to follow your plan and not our own. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.